Good afternoon. Welcome to Screen Cleaning. This is the show where we highlight the very best in entertainment. I'm Jeff Simpson. And I'm Cole Wissinger. And each and every week on BYU Radio, we don't like to talk about the bad in entertainment. We like to only focus on the things that are going to lift you up. Or, in this case today, the things that may give you the chills. But good chills, Cole. Sure. Not the type that you feel like you need to go take a shower afterwards, right? there's horrors like that, too. We're going to keep it family friendly on the program. (laughs) And uh, Cole's going to have a couple of reviews for us here in just a minute of a couple of movies that you might want to consider for Halloween. But before we get to that, let's talk about the very best in entertainment news. Now, well, let's get the sad news out of the way first, Cole. And I understand that you've got some sad news regarding the Batman. Now, what is the Batman, first of all? The Batman is the movie, aside from The Suicide Squad, that will be coming out and is kind of a remake that has the in front of the title, uh, that we've had a lot of conflicting news about in the past, which brings me to... Look! It's a bird! It's a plane! Uh, It's this week in DC News. Jonah Hill is out (laughs) of the casting news at the Batman. Who is... That was this week. In DC News. I, that was so fast, I didn't even have the time to process that. A couple weeks ago, we announced Jonah Hill was in, now he's out. And that's why I made the stinger, folks, because DC News changes just like that. Faster than the speeding bullet, right, More Cole? powerful than a locomotive. <laughs> and uh, I think he was supposed to play the Joker, right? Or no, uh, the, the Riddler. Well, there were rumors of who he was supposed to play. Jonah Hill is a lot skinnier now than he used to be. I think a lot of people joked around that he might be the Penguin just because of his shape mm. of what he used to look like in okay. his movies of the teen comedy beginning 2000s. But whatever he was going to be... He's not anymore. So are you telling me we may never know, or are they just going to replace him with another actor? Uh, Same villain. I mean, I think the script's been written, and so Ah. we'll pretty much be able to process of elimination it once we've seen the movie. It's interesting because I said the Batman, and you said, no, 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 the Batman. It almost seems like with the Batman and the Suicide Squad, they're telling us, no, 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 there may have been other versions, but this is... The version that we want you to focus on because it's going to be the greatest. I mean, it's going to be different. And so this is a slightly different title for for a slightly different Batman. For Batman, that's a pretty big cape and cowl to fill. For Suicide Squad, yeah, you can call it the Batman because what came before it was not the uh, Suicide Squad. This will be the Suicide Squad out of two within like a five-year span. Okay. Well, that's interesting. You know – So that's somebody, an interesting casting choice that's leaving the movie. I've got two interesting castings that uh, are kind of head scratchers, but I'm intrigued in both situations. Okay. So uh, I read a day or two ago that, uh, well, I I read a while ago that they're making a Matrix 4 with Carrie Ann Moss and Keanu Reeves returning. So that has a lot of people excited, but also kind of scratching their heads because... I think, spoiler alert, both of those characters died in one of the movies. Anyway. Either two or three, which I, if I have seen, it has been a couple years. Yeah. So what what would you say if I were to tell you, you know what this movie needs? I mean, the Matrix, the Matrix movies are all fine and good, but you know what they're really missing? 
some Doogie Hauser MD. Yes. Neil Patrick Harris <laughs> has a role in Matrix 4. All right. Yeah. That's exciting. You know, I, I say Doogie Hauser. He's done a lot of great things since then. He did a, he had a huge stint on How I Met Your Mother. Yeah, I think people he's know Barney him. Stimson to most people. He's beyond that. People don't necessarily know him for Doogie Hauser anymore. Dr. Horrible's Incredible Singalong blog. He did Count Olaf and uh, Lemony Snicket's A Series of Unfortunate Events. He's got an IMDb page. Right. Now, another actor that ha- is kind of known for a particular role on TV who has just been cast in the reboot of The Craft is David Duchovny. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> wah, 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 wah. Dun, 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 dun. I got to find some X-Files news like once a week just so I can hear you do that theme song. <laughs> now, was that X-Files or was that Downton Abbey, Cole? It's definitely X-Files. Okay. They don't sound as similar as you think, Jeff. <laughs> He's going to be in the craft. I haven't seen David Duchovny in anything in a while. One of the greatest things he did, though, uh, was his cameo in Zoolander as the former hand model who is now like a conspiracy theorist, which is very in line with his character on the X-Files. Yes. It was such a great cameo. Oh, my goodness. So that'll be interesting to see. Speaking of interesting things to see, this uh, there's a new trailer out for a movie that has been in the works for a long time. We've been hearing about it. For years, it seems. And now there's finally something to show for it. And what is it, Cole? There's a new Dr. Doolittle movie. Yay. Cole, come on. There's a new Dr. Doolittle movie starring Robert Downey Jr. Actually, I believe the the official title is The Doolittle. (laughs) That would would line up with what Hollywood does The Doolittle to end all Doolittles. Hopefully, uh, it'll do... Lots at the box office. Huh? I mean, starring Robert, was there a pun in there? Well, yeah, instead of do little, do lots oh, at okay. the box office. Right. Yeah. You said it like it was supposed to be it's funny. funny it's funnier. Catch it, it. It's funnier if you have to say it twice. Oh, right. Yeah. And after you explain it, it gets even funnier and funnier. Mm-hmm. That's the rule of comedy. Exactly. Uh, this is Robert Downey Jr.'s second non Marvel movie since I graduated high school. What? Can you name the other, Jeff? Was it that movie The Soloist with Jamie Foxx? No, so that's a little earlier. Due date was right when I was graduating. Okay, so there's one other one. Um, Starring Robin Duvall. Oh, yeah, uh, The the Judge. I did see... Oh, no, I'm sorry. The Judge. The Judge, Jeffrey. (laughs) Those are Robert Downey Jr.'s two post-2011 movies are The Judge and Doolittle. Totally fine with it. If I were Robert Downey Jr. and I could coast on... That uh, those movies that a couple I would, bucks. I would I would laugh my way or f- you know fly my way in my iron suit all the way to the bank every time. Do you think now that he has exited the Marvel universe and to focus on other projects mm-hmm. like Doolittle apparently, yes, that he is going to carry a little bit of his Marvel fan base that loves him so much and wants him to get an Oscar for his performance in Endgame. Uh, to some box office success in Doolittle. Wait, is that really a, a movement that's going on right now? I mean, the internet's got plenty of movements. I'm sure there's movements for, I don't anything that you want. But yes, it is. Um, but uh, do you think that I'm guessing, Doolittle will do okay? Um, 
I, uh, yeah, I think it'll do okay. Okay. You know, if they put it out around, oh no, it's coming out in January. I was going to say if they had put it out <laughs> around Thanksgiving or Christmas, it probably would have done quite well. January, um, it'll be interesting because January is almost into the dump heap of not a lot of competition but that is also when a lot of people will go see a lot of the oscar contenders and if there's going to be uh somebody getting an oscar nomination for a comic book movie i'm sure it's going to be joaquin phoenix right cole you've seen the movie the joker okay oh just joker that time oh Mm -hmm. that's right Okay, so Cole, last week on the show, you gave us a review for a movie that I really did not want to see, The Addams Family. This is the MGM animated version of the popular family from back in the 60s. Then they made some movies in the 90s. Creepy and kooky and mysterious and spooky. They're all together ooky. The Addams Family. I took my daughter to go see it. For a daddy-daughter date, I thought, you know, she would enjoy this. It's around Halloween, and I have fond memories of my dad taking me to the movies, so I thought, why not? We showed up a good 12 minutes late, and the movie had not started. So still five minutes early for the actual movie. Right, but the trailers hadn't even started. I turned to the guy next to me and said, yeah, they're having some technical difficulties. Five or ten minutes later, somebody else comes in. They say, yeah, it's going to be another five minutes so the movie finally starts, and um, I was surprised at how much I liked it. Now, nice. I will say it was more clever than it was funny, but it was a cute movie. Like the very first thing you see is Morticia getting out of bed and applying her eyeshadow and her blush, which she is dabbing a swab in her mother's and her father's ashes and applying them to her face. I thought that was a nice macabre touch there. Mm -hmm. There are lots of other things like that throughout the movie that I thought made it worth it. And what really made it worth it is when we're walking out of the movie theater. So, again, we had the movie didn't start until like 25 minutes later. And uh, one of the workers asks me, how many tickets did you buy? And I said, two. And she handed me two free tickets to come back another time. Hey-oh. So popcorn, daddy-daughter date, free movies. How can you go wrong? And this was the five-year-old daughter, Jeff? That is true. I, I agree with you, and I, I tried to explain this as I was recommending it, that it is more clever than maybe funny. Mm-hmm. Did she get it? Did she enjoy it? You know, um, she didn't have much to say afterwards. Okay. But we did sing the song all the way home. I nice. can tell you that. There we go. Yeah. Bringing families together. So what other movies are out this weekend, Cole, that we might want to take a look at? This weekend there are at least two new releases, two that I have seen in preparation for this week. One a little bit more family fair, one a little bit more teenagers getting into Halloween fair. Which one do you want first? Let's go with the family-friendly one. Okay. I got more to say about this. This is Maleficent. The Mistress of Evil, hmm. Maleficent Two. There was a there's a Maleficent movie, right? A kind of Sleeping Beauty riff back in twenty twelve thirteen ish, and now we have another one. It's a sequel. Okay, so is this better than the first? Do you have to have seen Sleeping Beauty to understand it? And uh, what did you think overall, Cole? No, no, and okay. 
I don't remember what I asked you now. You so it is <laughs> not better than the first one. I did oh. enjoy Maleficent the first because in the midst of all these Disney live action remakes that are just retreading for really no good reason other than cash, the Disney classics, Maleficent actually gave us a new take on a character that was kind of flat in the original animation. Maleficent was just the evil queen that was there to turn into a dragon at the end and show off how cool they were at animating back then with all the green smoke and the the vines and everything blowing Mm -hmm. up. But she wasn't a a character, right? She was just a a bad guy. Maleficent gave us a character played absolutely marvelously by Angelina Jolie. She is back for the second, as she should be. She's the titular character. And again, acting the heck out of this kind of like underwritten at times role but like she is there it is amazing how much she gets into a like more than i think more than any other disney live action remake angelina jolie actually wants to make this character good and she is stuck in a couple just okay movies doing acting Mm. her heart out okay so you mentioned we don't we don't have to have seen Sleeping Beauty to understand it, but what is the but plot it of this movie? Probably would have helped to have seen the first Maleficent, okay? Because it picks up right at the end of that. You need to know that Aurora is now the queen of the Moors. That Maleficent is her godmother, and she does love her. and And we learned that Maleficent isn't necessarily like the bad guy from the first one. And so, mm-hmm. if Maleficent just, has some, she's just the bad guy. The she is. <laughs> A bad guy. Yeah, She's there you go. <laughs> a sympathetic character, right? And so, and Aurora really, really loves her. And Aurora met King Prince Philip, right? The the handsome prince that she needs to get married to yes. because of Sleeping Beauty. And so, this movie picks right up uh, with Aurora and Philip already in love and wanting to get married. And when two kiddos want to get married, their parents need to meet each other, and that starts us off on this journey and this kind of conflict between Philip's mother, who wants to kind of destroy the fey land, all the fairies that are out in the moors, and let humans reclaim their rightful human place, and Maleficent, who is a fairy and wants to kind of defend her fairy folk. You know, us humans, we really stink. You know, We're always destroying everything. About halfway through this movie, it felt very Avatar, Pocahontas, Fern Gully-ish, <laughs> where the big bad humans were coming in. And then also we have this – right in the middle of this like cute family kind of Disney movie, there is an hour-long just war scene between the fairies and the humans where they go back and forth. And some of it is kind of like really dark if you sit to think about it for a second for it hmm. to be in this movie. Um, nothing is like graphically shown, but it, it just tonally – we went from like making jokes at, at dinner with these two families meeting each other to all of a sudden just like an all-out Lord of the Rings scale. I saw this in IMAX. It was pretty pretty to look at. The CGI is cool. But like there's a war that just happens. And then at the end of it, uh, it's just over and we get on with the wedding and happily ever after and all that Disney stuff. And this is rated PG. It's totally rated PG. I mean, it's not like – when I say Lord of the Rings scale, it's not like sure. dark and gritty and Minas Tirith-ish. But like it does make – it made me think of like a large-scale battle right in the middle of a Disney movie and it didn't – everything didn't quite fit. I didn't love the movie as a whole. But if you already are invested in these characters and Sleeping Beauties, you're kind of Disney princess jam – uh, go see it. It's fine. Otherwise, wait for the day when it will come out on Disney Plus, which is coming soon. Okay. Now, will there be a third Maleficent? Do you think? I mean, I 
it doesn't overtly lead you to one, but the first one didn't exactly leave us on a cliffhanger either wanting a second. And so it's all about the Benjamins. If it makes Cole. some money, then there will be. All right. Now I understand there's another second part movie that is out. This one took what, like ten years to make? Exactly ten years to get Zombieland Double Tap. This one is rated <laughs> R and it deserves its R rating. So if you're looking for something to take the young kiddos to this weekend it's not this movie. Yeah. But if you already enjoyed the first Zombieland, prepare to get even more of exactly the same stuff, the same humor, the same gore, the same swearing, all the content that we try to warn folks about on the program. But Zombieland's one of my favorite movies of all time. And so I did go see the second one and I enjoyed it almost exactly the same as I enjoyed the first one. Now, I have, Interesting. I have plenty of nostalgia tied to that first one and I still think the first is a better movie. But – if you're already on board, if if you just want to see Woody Harrelson, Jesse Eisenberg, Emma Stone, and Abigail Breslin destroy some zombies, get to know some more characters in this little world, then come along for the ride for Zombieland Double Tap. Will there be a Zombieland uh, Triple Tap or Hat Trick or whatever they're going to call it? We said very clearly that this is exactly 10 years since the first one, and Ruben Fleischer has said that in 2029, he would most love to do a third Zombieland. Wow. We'll see what the zombie genre is like then. I mean, already I think people are kind of experiencing some zombie fatigue. But I love the marketing for this movie because as they're introducing every character, it says – Academy Award-nominated Woody Harrelson, Academy Award-nominated Jesse Eisenberg, Academy Award-nominated, uh, not Haley Steinfeld. Emma Stone. Well, no, and then it, it ends with Emma Stone because it says Academy Award winner, oh. Emma Stone. And then Abigail Breslin. Abigail Breslin's the other nominated one. I love that. So I, I think this will make a decent amount of money. A lot's happened since the first one in their individual lives. We're going to go a little bit more back toward the family-friendly fair. But sticking with Halloween. Absolutely. And uh, we're going to give you some different options for, well, well, alternatives, really, to watching a bunch of scary movies. Because we don't all have the time that Cole Wissinger has to squeeze in all these scary movies. And uh, we're going to tell you just how you can do that when we return. This is Screen Cleaning. is the theme from the film Beetlejuice. One of my holiday favorites. Right. A lot of people do watch that movie around this time of year. I'm not going to talk about the film as much as I'm going to talk about the music, but that's here in just a little bit. Cole, each and every year, you know, for a lot of people, Christmas is the most wonderful time of year, but I get the feeling that for you, Halloween is the most wonderful time of the year. I enjoy the spooky month. I can hear Andy Williams singing that song in my head right now. Cole, you get so into this holiday that before October even starts, you map out a game plan of all of the movies that you are going to watch. You watch one every day of the month of October. That's 31 scary movies in a month of October. Wow. Now, for some of us, people with young children... Uh, we don't exactly have that kind of time. 
I'm the type of person that can sit down and watch. Well, I don't can't. I don't even sit down most of the time. <laughs> I'm watching movies in little ten to fifteen minute chunks at a time, right? Or I'm doing laundry while I'm watching something, or I'm exercising. I never really get to sit down and just enjoy a movie. So, for for people like me who. And I'm not saying anything to say against you, Cole. You no, are just you're busier as, folks. You're busy mm-hmm. too, but uh, yeah, um, you don't have people that are waking you up at six in the morning, right? Very true. Okay, so, I don't even wake myself up at six in the morning. <laughs> so for people like me who only have these little chunks of time, how about utilizing every free moment that you have in the car while you're getting ready for bed? While you're brushing your teeth. And there's mediums of media out there that lend themselves to multitasking a little bit better than movies where half of it is the dialogue and the jokes and the the things you can hear. But the other half, you should be watching the screen to get the whole effect, right? And we are talking about audiobooks. Yeah. Or just audio in general. And that'll make sense here more in just a little bit. Um, And going even more specific than that, audiobook, short stories, in the horror genre. Short bursts to keep your October spooky. I got to start with probably my favorite short story author. And he, uh, I love I love it because pretty much any one of his books that you'll pick up or audiobooks on the cover, it'll say, it'll have a quote from another famous horror author, Stephen uh, King. I've heard of him. Stephen King saying, Richard Matheson, it's something to the effect of Richard Matheson is uh, the author that has had the biggest impact or influence on my writing. High praise. That is huge. So if you're unfamiliar with the name Richard Matheson, you will probably know some of the films for which he's responsible in that he wrote the original source material, right? We're talking Duel. Duel was Steven Spielberg's first film where this guy is just on the run from this mysterious uh, semi-truck driver. You never see his face. You never know why he has such a beef with him. But it's it's actually – it was a TV movie and it's pretty thrilling for a TV movie or just a movie in general. He also did Nightmare at 20,000 Feet. Twilight Zone fans will recognize. Right. With either William Shatner – or John Lithgow, or in the latest iteration, it's uh, Adam Scott. And uh, he also did What Dreams May Come, which is not horror. He also did uh, Somewhere in Time. No, did he do Somewhere in Time? Yes, he did do Somewhere in Time. He also did I Am Legend. So again, some very prominent movies in the horror or fantasy realm. Right, Cole? But I want to share with you a couple of other options from Richard Matheson that you should definitely listen to. And and all of these that I'm going to share with you are available for purchase on Audible. Most of your libraries are going to have them. And really, I don't I don't know if this is unethical, but you can just log on to YouTube and type in the name of this short story audiobook and it'll pop up. Okay? <laughs> so the first one is called Pray. And I'm Ooh. and not pray as in you need to go pray because you've been watching too many horror movies. The kind of pray spelled with an E, right? And it's this woman who is uh, planning a, a night out on the town with her boyfriend. 
And uh, then she gets a call from her mother, and her mother's going to come over, and her mother kind of guilt trips her into spending the evening with her instead. While she's waiting, she has this gift that's waiting for her from, I believe, her boyfriend, and it's this little tribal doll that I I don't know if it's meant as a joke, but she thinks it's kind of weird. And this little doll is holding this little scroll with some interesting words on them. And if you've watched enough horror movies, Cole, what do you do when you find something that's written in a different language? Usually, you hold it in your hand with... above. You read the Latin out no. loud, and you summon whatever is. Uh... No, that's exactly what you don't do, and it is exactly what she does do. And uh, this is a creepy little story about just this little claustrophobic. Uh, night of terror that this little doll and this woman spend in her apartment it's just as creepy if you watch the uh the little video of it from the film trilogy of terror starring karen black you should look that up too (laughs) but if you only have time to listen that's a good place to start there's there's another one by richard matheson called the distributor what would you think of when i say the distributor cole someone who distributes i don't know packages paper Mundane things. Like some food items, right? Yeah. Well, this is about a man who's really kind of a distributor of chaos. Ah. This story seems right up your alley, Cole. It's about this seemingly sweet old man who's just moved into this neighborhood, and he just starts causing chaos. A little bit here, a little bit there. You know, kind of planting things in somebody's yard, writing messages, notes, and slipping them in people's mailbox. Just stirring the pot. Right, stirring the pot. And all of a sudden, it's kind of it's kind of like an alternate version of the monsters are due on Maple Street in that, you know, people are really good at kind of tearing each other apart, right? And it's, it's kind of disturbing, but uh, Cole, this would definitely put a smile on your face. <laughs> One more that is... Uh, a little more than disturbing, I would think, called The Children of Noah. This is has no biblical, biblical connection that I can see. So but, not Ham, uh, Shem, and the other guy. Right. A lot of stories in the horror genre play on some of our fears, or they're kind of morality tales, right, Cole? If there was a, a lesson to be learned here, it would be follow the speed limit. This story... <laughs> If nothing else, it'll teach you follow the speed limit. If you're in some podunk town, which is the the, the main character in this story they're is— they're always just driving through. Two in the morning, and you see a 25-mile-per-hour speed limit sign, even though you think it doesn't belong there, you follow that speed limit. Because when that cop pulls you over, and they have a different way of handling things in this town, you're going to wish you did— Oh, that's all I'm going to say about this. They don't get off with this. a warning in this little story? Uh, no, mm. no. Cole, you got to go listen to The Children of Noah. So that's Richard Matheson. And there's going to be an overall theme with these three authors that I'm going to come back to later on in the show. The next one you're going to be well familiar with, Ray Bradbury. But I'm going to mention a couple of stories that maybe you aren't as familiar with. Ray Bradbury, known for Fahrenheit 451 or The Halloween Tree. You put Halloween in your title and I'm going to be intrigued. <laughs> That's absolutely right. Now, uh, he's got something this uh, something wicked this way comes. A lot of people are familiar with. Um, double, double toil and trouble. Right. There are two that I want to mention, though, and both of which 
you can actually hear on BYU Radio if you go on to byuradio.org and you type in the two titles, The Velt and Night Call Collect, you will find a couple of radio dramas called uh, from the collection Bradbury 13, which were produced right here at BYU back in the 80s, and they're featured on the Appleseed. Again, byuradio.org. Just type in The Velt, V-E-L-D-T, or Night Call Collect. The Velt, if there's a morality, if there's a lesson to be learned in this story, it is play with your kids. Get away from the electronics. Get away from technology. Play with your kids. If you don't, they will make you pay for it. Let's just say... And uh, Night Call Collect is just really kind of a disturbing, creepy tale about this guy that is stuck on Mars. He's 80 years old, and he starts getting these phone calls from a younger version of himself. Come to find out, he's implanted all of these phone messages to himself decades earlier, and now he's starting to find them. And uh, his younger self is not the nicest guy in the world or on Mars. So check out those two on BYU Radio. And then the last author I want to talk about is probably my second favorite short story author. It's a man named Charles Beaumont. Probably less familiar to you than Richard Matheson or Ray Bradbury. But uh, he did a lot of episodes of The Twilight Zone. And there's one that I want to share with you called Free Dirt. Now, uh, this the lesson here is don't be a cheapskate. Don't be a cheapskate. Don't if be you're somebody. You're going to buy dirt, pay a good price. Right. <laughs> uh, or don't be somebody out there that always has to have the free thing. Don't skip out on your bill at a restaurant. This is a man who collects free dirt. And uh, let's just say it comes back to bite him. Hmm. Hmm. So there are three authors that you can listen to their short stories. Look them up on YouTube. You can buy them. You can check them out from your library. Local libraries. Yeah. Right. Now there are a couple of options if you want to have something to listen to with with young listeners. There's something called Alfred Hitchcock's Ghost Stories for Young People. Alfred Hitchcock is very prominent around Halloween. You betcha. And uh, the, how about something a little more appropriate for younger people? Go check out this. Now, if you'd rather not listen to short stories and you'd rather just listen to something that will kind of create a spooky atmosphere, you need to listen to some of these soundtracks from some scary movies, right? Or creepy movies. Things to listen to. When I think of a composer that is synonymous with Halloween, Cole, who would you think it is? Well, Considering that we did begin the little segment with some <laughs> Danny Elfman from Beetlejuice. Yeah. I would say the guy that's paired up with Tim Burton just a li- couple of times. Right. Just listen to some of these films that he scored. Scrooged, which is really a Christmas movie, but if you listen to the soundtrack, it's spooky. Nightmare Before Christmas, The Frighteners, Mars Attacks, Men in Black. Sleepy Hollow. He did the theme song for Tales from the Crypt, Cole. But (laughs) his greatest work for me is Beetlejuice. And that is, I think, the greatest theme for any Halloween-type movie. Arguably the greatest. And uh, do you know that Danny Elfman's never won an Oscar, Cole? Oh, that is a sham. Criminal. And, uh, yeah, so... 
Beetlejuice. Just sit down, listen to the entire thing. It's It sets a great atmosphere for Halloween. The next name on here is, uh, let's go with Jerry Goldsmith. Jerry Goldsmith is another famous one. He was nominated over the course of his career 18 times for Oscars. Whoa. He only won one. Whoa. The score for which he won was for the movie The Omen. Now, I don't even uh, want to play it on the radio. It's so spine-tingling. <laughs> um, but again, there's something creepy about Latin, and he writes a song in Latin that was also nominated for an Oscar. The song didn't win, but the score did. And uh, oof, creepy movie, even creepier soundtrack. If it wasn't for the soundtrack, the movie would not nearly be as creepy. The last one is a man named Bernard Herrmann. He's a little more prominent, even if he's past and a little older than these others. But uh, if Danny Elfman was the frequent collaborator with Tim Burton then Bernard Herrmann was certainly the frequent collaborator with Alfred, Alfred Hitchcock. Hitchcock. Yep. Right. Now, Bernard Herrmann was never nominated for anything that he did for an Alfred Hitchcock movie. Psycho is just a great, creepy soundtrack to listen to. Vertigo really almost sounds like it could be the soundtrack for a superhero movie. It's a mystery, and it kind of alternates between haunting and creepy, but also Lovely and beautiful and epic. So you got to go listen to these. And these are some options that you can turn to if you just don't have the time to sit down and watch an entire film each and every day of the month. Yep. I, one of the films I watched this month was Reanimator, which is a classic kind of <laughs> funny, zombie, scary <laughs> movie. The score to Reanimator is lifted heavily from Bernard Herrmann's work oh, really? on Psycho. You immediately recognize all of the beats there. And so in the horror community, these are also composers that are well-respected. Yeah. Those are some short stories that you can listen to this Halloween but how about some maybe longer classic stories that you can listen to? And how about listen to right here on the program? That's coming up next on Screen Cleaning. Before we do anything, let me tell you this, said Van Helsing. It is out of the lore and experience of the ancients and of all those who have studied the powers of the undead. When they become such... There comes with the change the curse of immortality. They cannot die, but must go on age after age, adding new victims and multiplying the evils of the world. For all that die from the praying of the undead become themselves undead and prey on their kind. And so the circle goes on ever widening, like as the ripples from a stone thrown in the water. Friend Arthur, if you had met that kiss which you know of before poor Lucy die, or again last night when you open your arms to her, you would in time, when you had died, have become Nosferatu, as they call it in Eastern Europe, and would all time make more of those undeads that so have filled us with horror. Go on, said Arthur hoarsely. Tell me what I am to do. Take this stake in your left hand, ready to place the point over the heart and the hammer in your right. Then we begin our prayer for the dead. Arthur took the stake and the hammer 
and when once his mind was set on action, his hands never trembled nor even quivered. Van Helsing opened his missal and began to read, and Quincy and I followed as well as we could. Arthur placed the point over the heart, and as I looked, I could see its dint in the white flesh. Then he struck with all his might. The thing in the coffin writhed, and a hideous, blood-curdling screech came from the opened red lips. The body shook and quivered and twisted in wild contortions. The sharp white teeth champed together till the lips were cut, and the mouth was smeared with a crimson foam. But Arthur never faltered. He looked like a figure of Thor as his untrembling arm rose and fell, driving deeper and deeper the mercy-bearing stake, whilst the blood from the pierced heart welled and spurted up around it. His face was wet, and high duty seemed to shine through it. The sight of it gave us courage, so that our voices seemed to ring through the little vault. And then the writhing and quivering of the body became less, and the teeth seemed to champ, and the face to quiver. Finally, it lay still. The terrible task was over. Screen cleaning. You just heard on the program a reading from an excerpt from Dracula a by Bram Stoker, which is a classic, a classic horror story to read, listen to, or watch this Halloween and season. And currently in the public domain. You were looking for things to get from your library earlier. You can find Dracula or Frankenstein, which will be coming up a little later by Mary Shelley. Uh, Anywhere on the internet. They're just out there. And when things are in the public domain, they also lend themselves to a lot of adaptations because you don't have to pay someone to write a whole script for you. It's right there. You can just take it and make a movie about it. (laughs) Right. And I know that we've pointed you elsewhere on the program a lot. You know, go find this on YouTube or buy it at your uh, on Amazon or find it at the library. But as Cole pointed out, these are in the public domain. We just read this for you. We're going to read another one. And so really, you don't need to go any farther than screen cleaning on BYU Radio. And you can look this up online. You can look up our past episodes on uh, byuradio.org or download any of our podcasts wherever podcasts are found. We did a couple Halloween episodes last year, too, that are probably still relevant if you're looking for some more tips and tricks this Halloween season. So, Cole, what would you consider to be some Halloween classics that really are required viewing, listening, or reading? Movie-wise, you got to make yourself familiar with the Universal monsters and Mm. with the Hammer horrors. Okay, so one of them, as we know, is Dracula. Well, Dracula falls into both camps. Again, these are in the public domain characters, and so both film studios have made their own versions of Dracula and Frankenstein and the Invisible Man. Uh, And I kind of want to give us a little 
like, you know, 101 of the history of horror. Hmm. It's interesting. Bram Stoker used the word Nosferatu. I mean, the Eastern Europeans apparently used it for vampires even before that. But if you're going to start learning about the history of horror, it starts with... Nosferatu, the mm. vampire, the living vampire. Also, The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari is another old silent film you want to catch up on if you're getting your history of horror down. Is that a vampire story too? It's more of a zombie, undead, Whoa. painted white guy, but yeah. it files into this undead category okay. that vampires often do. Hmm. But if we're starting with the Universal Monsters, and they're the ones that kind of made it famous, they did it with these iconic horror actors that kept showing up in the same movies over and over. So 1931 gave us Dracula, then Frankenstein as well. Uh, Bela Lugosi is our titular Count Dracula in the first one, and Boris Karloff, probably known most for his role as Frankenstein. Absolutely. So, okay, what's maybe one of your favorites from all of these films, Cole? So I prefer Bride of Frankenstein to Frankenstein. Really? The, actual, the, the sequel to it is, I think, a little more scary, and we get a little more time with the monster as well. He survived the windmill fire that ends the first Frankenstein movie. Thanks and for comes, spoiling it, Cole. A hundred years later. A hundred years later, we got some spoilers. <laughs> I'm, I apologize for it. But Boris Karloff <laughs> is back as the monster, and Frankenstein's journey of, you know, atoning for the mistake that he made of bringing this creature to life uh, carries on into The Bride of Frankenstein while he's influenced by this other mad scientist to do it again and create once more. And again, I mean, you really ought to read Frankenstein. It is, I mean, it kind of tests your patience in a little and at some places, if I'm honest with myself. But I remember reading it in college and found it to be very fascinating and much more scientific than I expected it to be. The, the original title is Frankenstein the Modern Prometheus. It's not right. Frankenstein the Monster, ooh, scary boo. Right. And what's really <laughs> interesting is Mary Shelley, you know, a lot of people get the question asked like, oh, how did you come up with this idea? And Mary, on a bet. Yeah, on a bet. <laughs> like, who can write the best ghost story or the best scary story and she came up with basically an outline or a short story for Frankenstein and then fleshed it out and we have one of the greatest horror stories ever written. And she predated Bram Stoker by like 20 or 30 years. Like she, Mary Shelley is the beginning of modern horror. She's amazing. And the whole, like the Bride of Frankenstein starts off with kind of Mary Shelley and her friends sitting around and they're like, hey, what do you got for us now? And she's like, well, if you thought that was scary, here's another one. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting because as much as the films may uh, have you sympathize with the monster, The book does it even more. The monster has a much more extensive vocabulary, and you really feel for him when he says, look, everybody else has a companion. I roam the earth totally alone. Um, Like, basically, people want to hide from me. I, I deserve to have somebody to spend my hours with as well. You really sympathize with him. And, uh, yeah, almost it almost seems like Dr. Frankenstein is kind of turning into the monster when he is utterly refusing to create another abomination, right? 
and abomination is the right word. When Hammer took their turn on Frankenstein, they called it the curse of Frankenstein. <laughs> when it was Christopher Lee that put on all the makeup and Peter Cushing acting as Dr. Victor Frankenstein. So those, I'm guessing, are probably a little less family-friendly than the universal horror yeah, films. Yeah, especially – so we got colorized versions when Hammer took their turn. So you and see the color of the blood. Plenty of blood, yeah. yeah. The, the Dracula, the horror of Dracula starts off with kind of this bright, vivid red blood dripping on the single placard tombstone of Dracula as he – we, as is implied, he rises from the dead each night. Yeah, and you know, creepy, it, creepy kooky stuff. It's interesting. Family friendly uh, is a little bit of a relative term. Cole grew up watching all of these films at a very young One age. One of my earliest film <laughs> memories is a Universal monster movie, The Mummy. But the old black and white version of The Mummy was one of my first introductions to horror and just monsters in general. When I would later enjoy things like Monster Squad or anything else that brings these old monsters all together, I, I kind of knew where it was coming from because I had seen Dracula and Frankenstein and The Invisible Man and The Wolfman and Creature from the Black Lagoon with The Gill Man. And all of these original monsters have their movies and have their turns. You know, black and white kind of eases the pain a little bit, but one movie I am very comfortable introducing to kids would be the funny takes on these movies. It counts as a universal monster when Abbott and Costello met Frankenstein and the mummy. (laughs) All right. So if you do have a little more time and you want to – if you really want to go back to where it all started – You've got to check out some of these movies. You've got to read some of these stories or even listen to them. And we're going to give you one more opportunity to hear another classic story from Mary Shelley. It was on a dreary night of November that I beheld the accomplishment of my toils. With an anxiety that almost amounted to agony, I collected the instruments of life around me that I might infuse a spark of being into the lifeless thing that lay at my feet. It was already one in the morning, the rain pattered dismally against the panes, and my candle was nearly burnt out, when, by the glimmer of the half-extinguished light, I saw the dull yellow eye of the creature open. It breathed hard, and a convulsive motion agitated its limbs. How can I describe my emotions at this catastrophe, or how delineate the wretch whom with such infinite pains and care I had endeavored to form? His limbs were in proportion, and I had selected his features as beautiful. Beautiful! His yellow skin scarcely covered the work of muscles and arteries beneath. His hair was of a lustrous black and flowing, his teeth of a pearly whiteness. But these luxuriances only formed a more horrid contrast with his watery eyes and seemed almost of the same color as the dun white sockets in which they were set, his shriveled complexion and straight black lips." The different accidents of life are not so changeable as the feelings of human nature. I had worked hard for nearly two years for the sole purpose of infusing life into an inanimate body. 
For this I had depraved myself of rest and health. I had desired it with an ardor that far exceeded moderation. But now that I had finished, the beauty of the dream vanished, and breathless horror and disgust filled my heart. Unable to endure the aspect of the being I had created, I rushed out of the room and continued a long time traversing my bedchamber, unable to compose my mind to sleep. At length, lassitude succeeded to the tumult I had before endured, and I threw myself on my bed in my clothes, endeavoring to seek a few moments of forgetfulness. But it was in vain. I slept indeed, but I was disturbed by the wildest dreams. Screen cleaning. Cole, we've been having so much fun today talking about alternative ways that you can ring in the Halloween holiday by maybe listening to some stories instead of watching stories on the big screen, as you've been doing each and every day in October. And also getting your horror education brushed up as you learn where these monsters came from, from the screen, and also from the really, really old books that we've been reading aloud. Right, and as you were talking about some of those old Universal and and Hammer horror films, I realized I am not well-educated, Cole, in the early days of horror, so... I've been meaning to watch a number of films that I probably should have seen by now, right? It's almost like we have a segment just for this. Huh. Huh. I've I've been been meaning meaning to watch watch that. Wow. So, um, (laughs) that always makes me laugh. Uh, I took a look at the films in my queue, especially the, the scary ones that have been sitting there for quite a long time. And Some of the older ones, right, that you just right. kind of missed out on. And I I pushed the one that I really ought to have put, or I really ought to have seen by now, to the very top, the edged-out movies like M, Eyes Without a Face, Diabolique, The Bad Seed, and Carnival of Souls. I need to watch Nosferatu. We mentioned it in the reading of Dracula, and this is the Max Schreck starring silent black and white film that I mean I mean I studied kind of studied film and we talk about film and we have a show about film but I've never seen this original vampire movie so I'm going to commit to watching Nosferatu Cole and uh, I'll plan on talking about it next week on the show this is a judgment free zone Jeff the reason we created this segment is so that we can get caught up in some of those movies that we really should have seen by now the horror fan that I am I I gave the education on it I've seen Almost all of the classics, at least one point or another in my life. I won't judge you for whatever you're about to say, Cole. But, you know, some of the newer ones, whenever, you know, whenever I was a, an angsty teenager, I thought a movie had to come out in the 80s and have buckets and buckets of blood to be a worthy horror movie. And so I missed out on really good movies I've seen recently, like Coraline or Paranorman, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. are creepy. But when I was in high school, no I wasn't I wasn't about to watch a, an animated horror. No That's judgment, just not Cole. real horror. Mm-hmm. I've never seen Monster House. What? <laughs> Cole, that's unforgivable. Uh-huh. Monster House is a classic, Cole. And I've been meaning to watch it. <laughs> I'm just kidding you, Cole. But uh, yeah, it is a fantastic film. 
it's a film that you're going to watch it and think, ah, is this really a kid's movie? Because it's – That's what I thought with Coraline it's too. On I the, loved it. It's on the scarier side. It's not Coraline scary. <laughs> I'll give you that. But I remember thinking, man, the jokes that are in this and the scares that are in this, they don't – seem to really be for young kids. Now, my kids have seen it a couple of times, uh-huh. and uh, they're a little desensitized. But yeah, that first time or two that young kids see it, they're most likely going to be scared of Monster House. But it's executive produced by Steven Spielberg and Robert Zemeckis, and you're just going to really enjoy it, Cole. All right. So by it. next week, Jeff will have seen Nosferatu. Yes, And I will have seen Monster House. Okay. And we'll tell you what we thought. I can't wait to hear what you thought of Monster House, Cole. Well, as we are wont to do each and every episode, we like to end things by doing a little panning for good. There's good in them there hills. (laughs) Now, the whole point of panning for good is that you have to search a little harder to find things that really are noteworthy and of a high quality that we want you to know about. And I'm so excited to tell you about uh, this thing that you can listen to this Halloween. It's not the first time we've mentioned it on the program, but earlier when I was talking about the authors that you want to look up their short stories and listen to them, Richard Matheson, Ray Bradbury, and Charles Beaumont, I mentioned that there would be an overall theme with these three gentlemen. And the overall theme is that... They all wrote episodes of The Twilight Zone. What what was that? An extra sound effect. Okay. I just didn't know about that one. (laughs) Anyway. Just wanted to contribute. You took took the da-da-na-na. That's the part everyone knows. Oh, did I take the best part, Cole? Yeah. Okay. So you're all familiar with the TV show that you can look up pretty much anywhere. Or the other TV show or the other TV show. Right. Netflix, Hulu, CBS All Access. I think CBS is giving you access to all of those older episodes as well, too. So uh, um, now you need to do... You need to do a little bit more research. You need to do a little bit more digging to find the Twilight Zone radio dramas. Whoa. These are fantastic. Um, Now, these you can purchase either on Amazon, Audible. There is a Twilight Zone radio app that gives you a deal if you buy the entire album. And there are about 18 volumes, over 170 episodes of Twilight Zone, episodes that have been adapted for radio. I think there may be one or two originals thrown in for good measure. But um, these are of such a high quality, you will be blown away. Cole, they have gathered quite a list, quite a roster of stars to come in and perform in these Twilight Zone radio dramas. First of all, the narrator is Stacy Keach, who has had a decades-long career in film and TV and also in radio that you've, you've got to appreciate his voice. Then they have people like Jason Alexander, Luke Perry, the, the late Luke Perry in there, Bruno Kirby. You've got people like Adam West mm-hmm. and Jim Caviezel. So some pretty big stars lending their voices to these high-quality radio dramas. Really, there's, there's not much else out there that, that matches it. You've got to check out the Twilight Zone radio dramas. Cole, let's give you one more opportunity to do the little jingle. 
And then that time I took the little cat screech that you did the time previous. Anyway, we are so excited for this Halloween season. I think I'm going to continue listening to some of these scary stories right when I get in my car to go home today. That's exactly what I'm going to do. Maybe a little Robert Block, Richard Matheson, and uh, maybe a little Patricia Highsmith. I just gave you a few more names that you need to go up and Google, and you'll be glad that you did. And Cole, I hope you enjoy winding down the rest of the month with some of those horror movies that you've been meaning to watch. 31 movies in 31 days. It's a fun challenge. I take it up every year, and, you know, it's it's open. Anyone's anyone's invited to watch watch a movie along with me. And you are all invited to tune in next week when we do one more Halloween episode before we move into the Thanksgiving season. I'm Jeff Simpson. And I'm Cole Wessinger. We're here each and every week on BYU Radio at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. Or anytime when you download podcasts. Stay spooky. Stay spooky.